Welcome to the Story Shop podcast. I'm Gregor, co-founder of Story Shop. And I'm Scarlett, the other founder of Story Shop. So Gregor, what can we expect from this episode? Well, I had a fascinating chat with Ben and Connor, the founders of Go Swag. So Ben and Connor started a company that makes branded gifts for companies. They've skyrocketed over the last couple of years, so it was really, really interesting to hear what they had to say. I've been reminded by our producer Nathan uh, from Sparkling Studios, who record the podcast, to remind you all to rate and review the Story Shop podcast, because currently, although we've had a few listeners, which is great, you know, we're, we're really kind of going up the, the numbers there. So this has been the final episode of season one of the Story Shop podcast. I had been talking about starting a podcast for almost two years before I finally decided to do it, and mainly I decided to do it because a podcast studio moved in right next door to our office. I've really loved the experience. I've loved chatting to eight very, very interesting people. And now I'm going to go away for a little bit and plan season two. Um, But it'd be great to hear your feedback. Um, If you have any guest suggestions, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Scarlett, I've forgotten. How should people find us? We are Story Shop across all social media platforms. I really hope you've enjoyed this little podcast so far and I look forward to talking to you again in season two. Well, hello. Hello. Welcome to the Story Shop podcast. So tell me about Go Swag. Sure. Go Swag, they kind of give you a definition of who we are and what we do. So Go Swag is a gifting, a business gifting service. So we have the amazing opportunity to help celebrate first days, anniversaries, holidays, key events and in, in business life cycle um, and everything in between, basically. So we are the the secret sauce basically between a, a company having the ambition to create a branded gift or celebrate one of these events and the recipient receiving that gift. So we handle everything from design and consultancy to create the perfect perfect gift to the logistics, the production of the actual gift itself, the logistics of getting that gift to recipients to every continent in the world pretty much now. And then all the customer service that kind of comes along with that. So if there's any issues with getting the item there, etc. we handle all of that. So we our idea is basically to retain the joy and the excitement of giving someone a gift and take all the headache and the annoyances of, of actually doing it out of the people who are gifting, essentially. How did you meet? We actually worked together. Um, so worked together, I guess. <laughs> uh, so we were we were working together at a company called Oracle, which um, they actually started the Glasgow office here at the Collective. So I was head of design for them. So Oracle, or maybe Europe's largest app development agency now. Close to it. They were UK's yeah. biggest at the time. So I was head of design, Connor's head of design research. We worked very, very closely together in all the work we did. And so we were the first Glasgow employees at the Glasgow office for Oracle. So it was just us for a while and just, yeah, became friends, good friends as well as co workers. And I've always had previous, I've had businesses and startups before. Connor's always had side projects and various things. And we like to bounce ideas off each other. And then, yeah, we that's kind of how we started the side project stuff together. Um, but we, yeah, we worked together at Oracle first. So tell me about some of those past businesses. Uh, okay, so I, I've always, I've always dabbled in things. I think the very first thing I sold, I used to work in e-commerce. Did a lot of work in that, um, and uh, 
the first thing I did was with uh, another my old business partner. We sold like Doctor Who teapots and um, Hello Kitty phone covers and various other things. And just kind of like one thing led to another. You can learn once you can learn to sell one thing online, you can theoretically sell anything. Uh, and we learned very heavily into Amazon. We became quite good at selling things on Amazon and kind of uh, understanding how to get to the top of the, the rank and all the rest of it. Um, so I've had a Christmas jumper company, and that's kind of led me on to the, everything's led me on to the next thing. That gave me a kind of good paw cash. Uh, to start a double dating app that I did with uh, my business partner Gary, and we went on Dragon's Den, raised money doing that. And how was how was that experience? It was really interesting. It's, it's it you don't you see ten minutes. We were in there for two and a half hours, standing in front of them for two and a half hours. And the worst thing about it is they they put you up in a, a hotel, a premier in Manchester, pick you up at six o'clock in the morning, drive you fifteen minutes down the road to the studio. And then you're there from like half six. We went on at half six at night. So you're in a room, a green room, you're not allowed to talk to you and there are other people in there. You have to go to, when you go to the bathroom, they take you there and all that sort of stuff. So I watched like every Rocky film just to get me psyched up for it. <laughs> but we had a night out planned and we were late for it. And you don't realise you're in this little bubble. And we were like, let's go. This is this is mental. We we were there for what, 12 hours, is that, or something? Yeah, 12 hours. Well, this is this is we not we're not doing this anymore. You go you go a bit loopy oh. in that green room, and we're like, let's just. So by the time we went on, we were already in a like a in a mindset where it's like we're a bit numb. Mm-hmm. So the nerves had completely gone because it'd been so long. We we're sat in that green. Room, we just wanted to get it done. So that really actually helped. And they're not they're called dragons, but they're really lovely to speak to, <laughs> and they do edit it to make it sound worse than it is. But it went it went really well. I think we got. Uh, three offers from three dragons and stuff and we went with Nick Jenkins the founder of Moonpig uh-huh. it was amazing yeah did that and then that was followed up we got some funding by Michael Birch who was the founder of Beeble so raised some more cash and I did that for like the dating app for like three years so I was the head of design and product came back to lived in London at the time came back to Scotland built a product team and yeah and, and then we, we realised we needed 50 million to get it going and we basically couldn't raise that so we just ran was out. Was it just down out. to the competitors and the amount of kind of financial heft they had? Or? It was funny because we didn't, so the Christmas jumper thing gave us a pot, me and Gary a pot of cash. And we're like, what, we want to build something digital. We want to build an app. We literally bought a book called How to Build a Billion Dollar App. Had all these ideas. And then one day Gary was at a pals who was using Tinder and he was she was chatting away to various people and he was like, were you going to go on a date? And she was like, no, nah, it's just a bit awkward. And, I just don't feel that safe meeting strangers. And she said to her pal, well, why don't you come along and we'll go on a double date? And that was kind of how that came about. And But what we didn't realise at the time was that there wasn't actually any successful dating startups. So Tinder was made by Match Group. Bumble was made by, was backed by a Russian billionaire that owned Badoo. So all these kind of startups were actually not startups at all. They were heavily funded by these big corporations. We didn't know that going in, but didn't. So we kind of found that out later in the line that there's been, I think, one plenty of fish was a startup and you need a wild amount of money to get it going. So we worked out we needed 50 million and nobody was investing in dating apps at the time because it's such a big risk and it was an unproven thing because everything was born in these corporations. So we raised maybe like half a million, I think, or something. And then we kind of realized we were going to run out of cash and it was not viable. So the writing was on the wall. But How hard was it to take that decision at that point? To shop shop? Yeah. It was, to be honest, it was fine because 
when you realised how how hard it would be, well, it was, it was impossible. Uh-huh. It was it was going to be impossible to raise that much money in the space of time we had. And to be honest, we all, you know, there's lots of other ideas that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all moved on to other things. You know, we quickly got back onto other stuff. So it was fine, to be honest. It was, it, it, was, it sucked, but, you know. Kind of Imagine you learned a lot from that well, it was crazy. It completely expedited my whole career because before I was, you know, I was working for a startup, e-commerce startup and, you know, earning small amounts. And then within the space of three years time, I was head of design at Peter Vardy, spinning up projects for him, startups for him, and then moving to Oracle, being the head of design for, you know, the biggest app for agency in the UK and building their design team. So I would not have been able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, and we all knew that coming out of the, the dating app experience that we were kind of had much bigger skill sets coming out that we did. So it was, it was, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was good. So tell me a bit more about your background, Connor. Uh, it's not as exciting as Ben's. <laughs> He's a lot younger than me though. Uh, right. Okay. okay, not a lot. Makes <laughs> <laughs> me sound like I'm 14. Makes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, me sound like I'm 50. Forget people can actually see us. Yeah, no, I wasn't on track just then, unfortunately. So my background is a sort of mixture of, of various different startups and companies working in design. So I came out of school, went to study photography for eight months, something like that, dropped out quite quickly, realised education in that way was just not for me at all. So I basically started just trying to learn as much different set of digital skill sets as I could. And basically I had the approach of advertising myself or just building things, seeing who would hire me and basically give me money to do stuff, to build stuff. And once they started to give me money, I'd work out how to do it, essentially. So through that process, I had all sorts of random startups and kind of, you know, the very start of companies that I created and then died and et cetera. Um, I managed to get my first job in uh, the creative industry. I went to, uh, I think it was like a receptionist, a receptionist I went for the job for and then convinced them I was actually a graphic designer. And <laughs> managed to get a job as a graphic designer. So then from there, managed to get a job in Scottish government, which was incredible. I basically, it was, I got to shadow service designers and work out to do research and build services and products. And then jump forward, end up working for a startup and then eventually ended up in Warracle with Ben and sort of went from a senior designer to head of design research and all the while sort of building different things in the background. So at the time of us starting to work together, I was starting to build like a research assistant tool, which turns out had already been done and done really well, uh, which I found out kind of quite deep into that project, <laughs> which uh, was a hard day. But uh, yeah, that was, I was kind of all the while courting Ben to kind of try and start something together because we have quite similar skill sets, but also quite different in a sense. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I just had a... I had a young baby at the time, so I was kind of like, don't even think about starting something. Because I've always had something, I'm like, don't do it. And then Connor was sitting on the opposite desk next to me talking about all these amazing ideas he had. And the thing that you did come up with was really exciting. So I was kind of like, can I, eventually I was like, yeah, can I get involved? And then we found out that it was it had been done, it'd been yeah. done and we were like, let's just come up with something new. Yeah. And that kind of like, at that point, the whole catalyst for what we're doing now kind of came about. Um, we were we were building the team quite a lot, hiring new people, and the HR department sent us some swag. And it wasn't the best quality, it wasn't the nicest stuff. And 
they literally gave it to us and like hand that and we're like, do we just hand this to the person when they arrive on the first day? Mm-hmm. And being designers, we're like, well, what's the experience? <laughs> what's the experience here? <laughs> and all that crap. And uh, so the two of us were like, right, let's lay it out on the desk really nicely. Okay, let's align that to the notebook and this to the lanyard and all that. And then we eventually packed it in a nice wee box. And the impact of that little thing being on there in this presentation thought through by their team, their new team, and it was way more of a welcome. And so we spoke to the person that kind of sent us the stuff and said, we've done this thing. It went down really well. You should do that as standard. And they was like, do you have any idea logistically how hard that would be to do? We've got offices in London, Edinburgh, Dundee, Glasgow. To do that to everybody would be, we couldn't do it. It's not possible. So we literally kind of classic start there must be somebody that does this and there wasn't and we spun up a product hunt page we spun up a website there was no service behind it we spun up a website with like mock-ups and this is what it does put it on product hunt and we're number two trending number two in product hunt and got like a lot of inquiries from that that's how it started we kind of knew such an interesting story as well you remember when we launched so we launched we went to number two in product hunt and we started to get all these inquiries through the door and if you think back to when, what year was that? Do you remember? I couldn't have an idea. Yeah. It was basically, if you remember the beast from the east, mm-hmm. the, the storm that hit Glasgow and basically shut down the whole of the west of Scotland pretty much. It, we launched, I think, two days before that hit. And then it hit and the supplier we had got a agreement with to, to, to basically supply these orders that we were to create ghosted us just went completely radio silent we found another supplier and then they were like yeah we'll do it but we can't get anything in and out anywhere because of the beast from the east so we suddenly already had that the start of all the logistical problems and we had to try and solve immediately uh, because yeah literally the whole west of scotland was just shut down we were dealing with people like our first customer was like anchorage museum in alaska so they don't know what the beast of the east is they don't they, they <laughs> just child's play too <laughs> exactly yeah yeah so <laughs> So that was a bit stressful, but at that point we knew we were onto something. Yeah. We did not have the formula right at all, though. We couldn't really work out. We knew we had something there in this gifting experience, but the whole setup of the company was completely—it was not good. Because we had like being kind of wanky designers, we were actually like so. We call it day one. It was all about the first day experience, uh-huh. and we kind of like let's think kind of more broadly about this this whole first day experience and then what digital services can we spin up and all the rest of it so that was our first product and a range a series of first day services or products and all the rest of it and then we so we kind of were thinking in that term and then but people just wanted these packs these these swag packs and then people would ask for client packs and anniversary packs and things like that and we were targeting we had the wrong customer base we were targeting startups we had a minimum order of one and that led to all sorts of like issues with production because you can only print like use digital printing and you can't do screen printing or embroidery because of setup costs and we don't know anything like that and so we kind of pivoted a bit got rid of the minimum order of one increased that and then rebranded um, to go swag and that's when things really took off because we were like right we're only accepting words 50 we're not targeting startups because they have no money we're targeting kind of bigger high growth tech companies and that's the language we spoke as well because mm-hmm. in Waterco basically I mean Connor's job was to sell design services and, and do like innovation projects for these huge companies and so we knew how to speak to them we used to write proposals for these people and that kind of size of company. And that's when we kind of lent on that. That's when we kind of took off and started getting 
bigger, bigger companies like GoCardless, for example, was one of the first big ones. And that's when we realized that's what's been going wrong. Because it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like there was something here, but we were just, why, how do we get this going? And then when we did that, that's when it took off kind of thing. Was it, you learn a lot from going quite wide at first and then just working out what is actually yeah. working for you from exactly. there. So were you still working at Oracle at that point? Yeah. 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 When did you make the decision to move? Was that when did June? Yeah, last June. Year. That was summer last year, yeah. So how long were you running? Yeah, so we basically, we had, so in the first iteration of the company, in day one times, I mean, that lasted a year, year and a bit, yeah. something along those lines, that we switched to Ghostwag, and we were running Ghostwag for about another year, whilst within Warracle, and it was just evenings, basically. That's how we ran, ran the company. But we had, we did make the smart move to hire... A salesperson that basically dealt with the nine till five calls and things like that okay. and the inquiries, which was, yeah. that was when we, that was a huge part of kind of like our, our growth was because, you know, we couldn't do any of that during the day because we had quite intense, we had well, very intense jobs. You know, we were leading the redesign of the business banking experience for Virgin Money and stuff like that. So it was all pretty intense during the day. There was no room to, to do anything else. So we hired that person and that was good. And then just late nights and well, my next mainly. Yeah. yeah. And what was the tipping point to make that decision to finally leave? I think, I mean, I met the traction started to get really building up. You know, we started to get tens of leads a day and all of a sudden, the, you know, our revenue was spiking and it just got to the point, you know, we had boot, bootstrapped the company to date and it got to the point where we realised we could support ourselves off of it and it kind of got to that tipping point where like, right, we should... It's, we make the jump now or we're never going to make it kind of thing so all the signs were there that it was going to be successful and we knew essentially Ben and I worked on it as he said you know into early hours of the morning kind of thing so we knew if we focused all our attention on it we could make it even bigger so it was just a case of making sure that we could support ourselves you know Ben it's we've bootstrapped we started the company with like 180 pounds or something like that um, and grown it from there. So it was just a case of getting to the point where we knew, okay, we're, we're secure and like our families are secure. I'm not going to like bankrupt ourselves within the next month kind of thing. Uh, and then, yeah, just made the jump. And since that point, it's just been an absolute roller coaster. Right? I mean, it's a really exciting roller coaster, but it's, yeah, it's been great ever since. And I imagine, obviously, over the last year, there's yeah. been lots of challenges. The last couple of years with COVID, the Brexit, yeah. supply chain, and everything like that. Imagine some of them would have probably played into your hands in some way in terms yeah. of people wanting to keep the connection to their workforce and things. Did that? Is that yeah. how it worked out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, you know, quite often we are the most physical representation of someone, someone's brand that they create. So we definitely leaned into that when it came to people working remotely. It was a case of, oh, everyone's scrambling to work out how do we keep teams together? How do we create boost morale and keep people thinking okay we are one team and a big part of that is you know coming on calls and seeing that you've got like Ben always talks about it the same the same mug that's branded in the same way or the same hoodie and that kind of thing so and just it's you know it's a gift it's a really nice experience to get and you know over the last couple of years it's not been the easiest time for anyone so we've been have had that advantage in the sense that we get to create these like moments of joy which is really exciting so yeah it's, it's yeah it's it's a physical connection between people that are completely remote if they both if you can see you're both holding the same thing and it's just there's so many anecdotes about that moments of joy where it's like oh you like little connections or oh, you got the same like mm -hmm. that it just it's 
does have a huge impact. We've had so many reports of company morale and stuff like that being boosted. We are quite considerate when it comes to the items and the culture of the company and, and, all, and what are they trying to do? Are they trying to create warmth? Are they trying to create a, a, you know, um, a better working environment? Are they trying to you know, make people healthier? What are they trying to do? And we kind of fit it to that. Um, I think taking our background in the consultancy side of things with what we used to do into this has is, is been... We're not just, we don't put stuff into the world. We try and, you know, create an experience rather than a physical gift. It's, it's an experience and every single part of the buying process for the stakeholder through to the claiming experience for the recipient needs to be a good experience. So, so it can go both ways. When you get something and it just feels like, for lack of a better term, tat, you know, it exactly. almost pushes you away from exactly. that company. You're absolutely right. And that's, yeah, you're spot on. And that's, well, that's why, I think that's why we have become as successful as we have is because mm-hmm. the first thing I say to people on a phone, when I had an initial consultation, I say, there's three things you need to consider. And, and so first one is sustainability. That's our kind of, that's something that's super important to us. And, and you know, can, is it recycled? Can it be recycled? Is it, is it a reusable item? The second thing is quality. If it's not good quality, people are going to see it as tat. They're going to feel cheap and they're going to throw it in the bin. It's going to end up in landfill, which has an impact on sustainability. Another one is utility, which is so important. If I send, look at every single thing you're sending to that person. Can they use that on a regular basis and get genuinely good use out of it? Is it valuable to their day-to-day life? Or on a weekly basis, or whatever. And if the answer is no, don't do it. We've had huge comp- like big brands that have said, "Can you send this thing to somebody?" And we've said, "No, absolutely not." Because who the fuck uses that? Like, mm-hmm. it would, so no, we don't do it. So, but the positive, um, the positivity we've had in response to that stance and that firm stance has been very well received and respected by these people that are saying, "Hey, can you do this?" And when you kind of say no, they're like, "Okay, right." Like, makes them feel they're in good hands in terms of that because sustainability is really important to everybody yeah um, so you very rarely get somebody like well I don't care <laughs> well, that's the confidence that demand breeds you know if you're getting mm. loads of people that are reacting positively then you can just say no and it makes you yeah. far stronger and it makes you able to provide a better service well that's that's it you know we that's another thing we are in a, it's good that we have a lot of leads coming through the door we can be selective with the brands we work with if we don't believe in their values or whatever we can say no and if they do want to do something that we don't agree with we we can say no um, but it's led to a great culture within our team it's led to a great out, out you know the, what people see and hear about us is 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 good in that regard so we're just leaning into that kind of hev- heavily and it's it's genuine as well like we're not doing it for marketing there's lots of stuff we don't we're doing that we don't shout and scream about because it just feels weird to do that sometimes so how big's your team now it is just a new start hire started yesterday. I think we're about 11 or 12, including contractors. And how's that been? I mean, like everything else, a roller coaster. I mean, the whole team is amazing. We've been really, really lucky in terms of the people we've hired. I've been incredible because, you know, it's quite a big ask of someone to join, um, especially like early days. You're coming on. Ben and I have no time to do anything. <laughs> That's like the normal sort of expectation of an employer. So it's a big ask. And we've been really lucky that we've found people who are you know, come in the door and within a week they're incredible. You know, they come in and, and we say things like, okay, you need to work out how to get like 
coffee into like 500 items of coffee into Russia and it's like we, we don't know how to do it so <laughs> you need to work it out <laughs> kind of thing within the week and they do and it's that kind of applies to, to everyone so we've been really lucky that we found amazing people in terms of like the administrative side behind employing a team like that and continuing to employ more people it's just we're figuring it out and we've, we've managed to figure it out to date but it's, uh, it's just one of these things that you don't you don't think about when you start a company or you know it's like okay employee contracts like what is in an employee contract <laughs> signed both of them yeah. I have no idea how to create one and you know what are the how do we do that in a way that people are really excited to work with is and that kind of thing how do you get a solicitor to create an employee contract and all that kind of stuff but yeah we, we're just kind of working it out as we go and, and so far as I say we've just been lucky in terms of the you know we've found amazing people that are kind of coming on this crazy, crazy journey with us How did you find them? At the start it was friends and family Basically, so it was just, you know, both of us were just talking about what we were doing. I think both of our friends and family are kind of used to starting stuff <laughs> and trying to convince them it's like the next biggest thing. So, yeah, it was initially it's friends and family. And then we basically started advertising for new roles, new consultants. Um, and again, just we're quite, we, you know, we're, we hired people in Oracle and various other jobs are quite, I think we we're quite seasoned in terms of finding good people. Um, so basically, yeah, we've managed to get, I think the last three, four people have been kind of cold hires, cold from advertising. And again, I've just been lucky that those people are already great and sort of thriving within the company. Yeah. It's great being able to try, because I had the same situation where I was able to kind of try with training wheels on when I'm within a company. And yeah. then before you go out and do it, because I think it would be really hard if it was your first exposure to hiring. Yeah. Then do go through that process yeah. just cold. It was such a big, it was such an important thing in Warracle to hire the right people. You know, Warracle's got a great culture, and so that was key. And in previous experience with hiring, hiring the wrong people can destroy mm-hmm. a culture or it can destroy the company because you're co- you're constantly having to pick up stuff that gets dropped and all the rest of it. So, like, not, you know, not hiring people that aren't right. We just we we so we spent time and a bit of, you know, we really looked at everybody. And it was mainly about, you know, are they a good fit? You know, are they good nice people to work with? Because there's a lot of stuff that I think there's a lot of what I learned at Oracle is that skills can be taught. If you're you know, if you've got a team of really highly skilled people, you know, you can you can teach the the new people the skills they need. But you can't teach certain things. So it's the certain things that we, you know, we look for and then they come on and we teach them or they learn themselves. <laughs> and I imagine it's so fast moving as well that there's kind of people will end up fitting roles that are created that you maybe Absolutely, didn't anticipate. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, we say it all the time, like that is our, we try and create that as our culture. Like we, there's opportunity all over our company to, improve it and essentially what we do is we push everyone to say if there is an area in the company that you see opportunity in fix it make it better we'll try it if it works it works and we'll keep doing it and if it doesn't we'll try something else essentially and and that is you know everyone within the company has has looked at different aspects of the service and improved it in some way um so yeah that that's definitely what we encourage because there's no chance you know ben and i only have so much time we've got a certain skill set and we need other people to kind of help and, and try and work out how to improve it because we're doing something, we're applying our sort of experience design and our background to an industry that's 
it's been around for a long time. So we need people to be looking at every aspect of how things are traditionally done and say, well, why is it done in that way? How can we make it much better? And that's, that's I think, why we've been so effective so far because everyone in the team does that and does it well. So, so what's the plan for the next year, five years? <laughs> keep growing, basically. Keep, keep growing, keep disrupting the promotional product industry. I mean, the thing is, we are... We're set up, we've been really lucky in the sense that we've positioned ourselves, we've managed to acquire some huge companies that we're becoming sort of long-standing partners of. So there, we have loads of stuff in the pipeline in terms of uh, digital services and different aspects of how we can improve <coughs> our service. And it's just, as I say, it's constantly looking at what we do. That that point, like I said at the start, that point of someone saying, okay, I want to send a gift. I want to create that experience to that person receiving it at the front door. There's a whole journey uh, that goes from that parcel being created to the point someone gets it there's opportunity all the way along that line to make you know amazing change and that's that's basically what we're doing or planning on doing for the next five years and what are your day-to-day roles like do you want to go first they're quite different yeah so i do mainly kind of sales and consultancy side of things i tend to take on the businesses that have a slightly different ask um you know, maybe they want to, maybe it's a bigger budget because they want to create the best welcome pack in the world. That's been one of, that's, that's sometimes that's the brief. And my job is to under, investigate the business, understand their culture, what they're trying to do, where they're going, understand the kind of geography of their, their staff members and what would fit with a kind of, you know, a globally distributed team. And just get to know every single aspect of it and then build a, a proposal, a pack around all of that so it becomes a bit more complex. Um, and sometimes we'll do we'll do one that's got a theme, and it's, for example, we did one which was an adventure theme, and the whole idea was that you are it was a client gift, and it was you're coming on this adventure with this company and welcome aboard, and and it was we, we had to create this pack with every single element that is kind of brought together with this theme. So I tend to take on those types of things and. And then kind of set at a more strategic level when it comes to the rest of the sales team. And, 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 you know, just kind of advise and just kind of drop in on everybody throughout the day and just kind of help them where and when they need. And then just firefight wherever you need to firefight and stuff. But that's the stuff that I do mostly and enjoy. It's, I mean, it's great fun. So that's what I do, really. I always say I do the, the boring part because <laughs> basically I do... The other side so Ben you know as you said deals with the consultancy and sales side of things I tend to kind of deal with the the other side of the you know the all the administrative side of the business and sort of future looking stuff so I deal with all the finances deal with um, anything to do with solicitors or accountants and all that fun stuff and there's a technical side of my role so I spend some time as a developer and I geek out over automations and things like that so I'll, a lot of my time will be spent writing automations or creating te- technical solutions for our customers to try and treat that sort of gifting or claim experience better. And then similar to Ben, you know, firefighting every day, <laughs> trying to work out what's about to go wrong or if it's gone wrong, how can we fix it? And then looking at what the future is, you know, like, as we say, we're bootstrapped, so it's all about cash flow, like what, what, what's next kind of thing, how do we That's ensure? The biggest difference between you and I is I am very much in the now. Mm-hmm. Yeah with the sales and all the rest of it. I'm so focused on, on that side of things that I very rarely bring my head up to consider 
future and impact of stuff I'm doing as well. Like there's been times where, because you are looking at the future all the time mm-hmm. and the overarching thing and I'll come up, I'll put my head up and say, we're going to do this thing. And you're like, it's, it's a lot of money. We need to do this. And it's like spin up some sort of funky thing for some company that wants that, like, I don't know, something done in a particular way, that, a, a new way to claim the gift or something. Mm-hmm. We need to build some technology to do it. Yeah, if we do it, then we'll do this. And then, then Connor will be like, yeah, we'll do that. But then we'll spend a month building this thing. That's going to be all my time and this and that and this. And then, <laughs> then I'll be like, oh yeah, good point. <laughs> and then I'll go back to the them, but no, we're, we don't want to take it. And then, um, so I'm just so, like, I'm always chasing the kind of next big thing when it comes to sales and next big client and some of the official party paper <laughs> yeah exactly um, yeah so yeah so, so really like that balance has been a huge part of our success I think uh-huh. yeah obviously you're on a great trajectory but I'm sure there's some stumbles along the way what's gone wrong so far <laughs> I think it'd be easier to ask what's not gone wrong <laughs> I mean the thing is like Ben and I are our designers we come from the product world we're not we've never managed a warehouse with you know logistics is new to us so we've made pretty much every mistake you can think of and we made it quite you know we made every mistake there was to make early on and i think you know your earlier question about brexit and supply chain issues and covid by the time we got to covid and supply chain issues it was like oh yeah we know how to deal with this like we've done all this but we created our own supply chain issues early on because we didn't know what we're doing so uh, it was a, you know walk in the park to be honest but yeah it's I mean, I can't try and send a thousand parcels to a hundred countries, and you're going to face every problem there is to face. You know, we've had some we've had some belters. I think the worst one for me was was horrible. It was a while back, but we were sending a ton of stuff into the all over the world, and like six hundred packs into the EU, and some basically the we thought we were sending a certain way, which meant that the, the duties and stuff were going to be paid pre and that the recipient wouldn't have to. So you send something into a country that wants uh, customs, either the recipient pays or we or the customer pays. So we thought that we'd hit the switch. Well, we had hit the switch, but what happened was every 600 EU recipients were asked to pay by the courier 27 euros to get their parcel. It was horrible. This is this was this was this was when it kind of breaks just kind of like from moving to the transition, yeah. and the couriers didn't even know what was going on. So it wasn't none of luckily none of it was our fault, and we could show that it wasn't our fault with the customer. So they forgave us in that regard, and they're still a customer and stuff. But we had to pay that fee, and there was a an admin fee of seventeen. Yeah, euros that we hadn't put into the cost so we we paid a crazy amount of money mm-hmm. out of our pockets for that well since the courier's mistake but it doesn't they don't you know the customer doesn't care it's the courier's mistake we have to deal with it I think that's the thing about us is that we will always fix a problem no matter how big no matter, no, yeah. no matter how small and sometimes it costs us a lot of money but it does, it does, it's a good investment to, to have that mentality. Cause your it, reputation can just go, you know, exactly. if you don't do that. That's it. Yeah. So we'll, yeah, there's been, we've taken some hits for things, a lot a lot of the time because it's, there's a lot of moving parts in what we do, you know, we deal with multiple suppliers and all the rest of it. Because it's a pack, a collection of items. If one item in that pack is delayed, 
it doesn't matter that every single other item arrived early or we're ready to go, but that one thing. So when you have so many moving parts, there's a lot of room for something to be delayed or to go wrong and just have to deal with it. And, you know, whatever you need to do, you, you, you fix it and you make it better for the, for the customer. Mm-hmm. Another big part of it is that, you know, when we were creating the, the experience of claiming these gifts, we thought, you know, various people come to us and say, we want to have options within the pack. We created the experience, we created the, the service for someone to say, okay, I want a hoodie, I want this size of t-shirt, I want this cut of t-shirt, I want this bottle but not this mug, etc. And then kind of, we were, that's an amazing experience, that's so nice for the customer, forgetting, okay, now the other side of that is you have a thousand items with, you know, seven or eight different variants, all with different sizes, all going to different countries, all with different customs. Uh, and we realised that a week before the stuff is dispatched. <laughs> Okay, now we need to work that out. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the thing is, once you've done that once, you realise there's lots of stuff you can do to to automate that and make it smoother. But you have to do it wrong first of all, uh-huh. and react to it. Like I was saying before, we're lucky now that we've got a team that is used to that, and it, you know it can just be okay Monday morning. Okay, there's this gigantic issue. We all need to work it out to fix it, and everyone just kind of turns their head to it and and works it out and. It feels like the mistakes are slowing down, I think. I think so. Yeah, we've done it enough now to kind of, we've kind of worked it out to a certain degree, but I'll say that we'll go back to the warehouse and it'll be like on fire or something. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So I imagine it's been quick. When did you move into the warehouse? Uh, July. Ben and I are as dyslexic as each other and (laughs) dates are not our friends. Because I remember you were still in here about, yeah, there must have been kind of, until quite recently yeah, fairly yeah, recently, really yeah. recently yeah so we had that challenge of fitting you know a considerably sized warehouse you know uh-huh. again that has its own challenges uh-huh. we don't know anything about racking and forklifts and <laughs> different types of pallets you know we bought 100 pallets that were all the wrong pallets <laughs> so <laughs> if you're looking for a pallet we've got a few um, so yeah it's just been an absolute learning curve of even that alone just fitting out a warehouse dealing with utilities of, of heating a warehouse you know we sat God love our team we had two weeks ago or something we've been in the warehouse for months two weeks ago we built an actual office cabin around the team beforehand you were everyone's sitting on a desk in the warehouse that is very we went through winter like that and it gets incredibly cold uh, we did have a heater, but it's like a big industrial sort of fan heater that like dries you out <laughs> like within ten seconds. Uh, so yeah, that's that's its own challenges. But the positive side of it is now we have an amazing functioning warehouse with lots of space just to you know pack stuff and, and grow basically. Um, I was speaking to a previous guest, Ewan Cameron at Willow, and he was he's dyslexic as well, and he was telling me about kind of all the other side of it being a bit of a superpower for him and things. Yeah, I've worked with Ewan and Peter, Peter Vardy. Vardy. Yeah. yeah, I thought I heard that and I thought, maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, so tell me about, about that experience and uh, when we were chatting before, you were telling me about the education side of things and the challenges. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's taken a while, I think. Uh, it takes, yeah, it's taken a while to see it as a superpower, but, you know, it definitely, definitely is that. It's helped massively for myself and I'm pretty sure I can speak for you as well, Ben, yeah. that, terms of thinking differently to, to start companies yeah education for me just didn't work at all I just couldn't fo- I couldn't concentrate and focus you know the kind of typical pillars of how someone's measured in school mental arithmetic spelling all that kind of stuff it just 
I was shockingly bad at it, still shockingly bad at it. Uh, I just had, I was really lucky. I had a really supportive family that basically pushed me to kind of see there was something beyond school. But yeah, beyond, beyond school, once you leave school, you know, join any design team, if you don't, if, you don't have dyslexia you're a minority like everyone that works in design tends to be dyslexic so yeah it's been you know the biggest thing for me anyway is just learning how to learn things quickly couldn't rely on reading couldn't rely on teachers because they just got fed up trying to teach me something so I had to learn how to learn stuff basically really fast and going back to what I was talking about earlier where essentially I just tried to convince people that I could make videos or graphic design or build websites as soon as someone hired me to do it I just learned how to do it quickly um, and turns out that's like a huge advantage for startups because you can't go into startup as one thing <coughs> you essentially hold 12 different roles yeah. you know I couldn't read yeah. balance sheets and profit and loss sheets before but you just work it out you have to be able to adapt and unlike I guess a tr- you know what would be deemed as the traditional path in any high school I guess in the UK or throughout the world is you do this thing and you go down and then you become XYZ if you're not that you have to adapt and react to learning challenges if you want to pass anything or you know there's i remember when i was trying to memorize a poem in english they're like just read it and memorize it. i'm like i've read this three times and i still have no idea what i've just read and so doing things like just completely off your own back you know these english teachers have no they didn't have any idea how to deal with kids like connor and i so i'd go back and i'm like what the hell what am i meant to do here so i did a like drawing out the poem I can still remember a lot of the poem to this day just because I drew it out it was about it was called Brooklyn Cop and I drew out this gorilla and because he's described as a gorilla with hieroglyph uh, scars in his face and I drew all that and so just you, that's just one example of tons of stuff that you know we both had to do growing up in a kind of education environment to adapt and that Without that, there's not a chance we'd be able to do what we do on a day-to-day basis and adapt really quickly and think outside the box because, you know, we were speaking to a kid um, yesterday who's who's came to us just to see um, a family member who's kind of having having a similar experience. And we were talking about how, you know, if you want to go into maths or want to be a lawyer, there's one route. And you follow that one route and if you deviate, then you're, you know, you tell these people to think out, think about something completely different. You know, you panic. Whereas if you tell us to do that, it's just kind of what we've had to do. So it's been really good, but you don't, no one tells you that. When you mm. grow up, you think that you are not going to succeed. Yeah. You think that you, there's nothing, there's not once did somebody tell me, actually, until I got to art school, right enough, but through primary school, high school, not once did somebody say to, to me, you know how you can't do all that stuff that all these other kids can do, but see all this stuff mental shit you're doing on the walls that's good just keep doing that because that's quite you know that's like you can use that you, you never think that you think you hate that you know I was embarrassed to say that I'm drawing gorillas on the walls and doing all that sort of stuff um, and no one encourages that well apart from our parents we've been very lucky my mum's as dyslexic as I am and Connor's family are very supportive as well so we had that but if you don't have that then you're you're a wee bit lost but yeah I got to art school and it's the same thing it was like Put your hand up if you're dyslexic and 90% and that's the first time somebody said this is you're gonna this is where this is where you all come <laughs> that's what in school it's like so much about kind of square pegs and round holes and there's a big confidence thing about like battering a door that you're never gonna get through it's crazy it's absolutely I mean I was in you know additional support classes um 
throughout whole school life and just constantly like teachers constantly told me I'm stupid like it was just their favourite thing to do apparently <laughs> and I'm, as, you know, I'm always like it was just luck that you know I, I managed coming out of school with some standard grades and higher okay results but I always joked that like my mum basically has more higher standard grades by proxy because it's just basically <laughs> she was just like right stop just sit down for like half an hour and memorise this just to get through it and then <laughs> you get out of it and you're fine because it's crazy yeah I mean I know like teachers obviously assessed on results and that kind of stuff so it makes sense to a certain degree but it's just unfortunate that so many kids you know like I was in these additional support classes and there was a bunch of kids and they were they just didn't learn in the same way that they were expected to mm-hmm. and that was it and some were lucky that they had a you know a support system in place that allowed them to see that that was not a big deal mm-hmm. and some didn't and it's just it's i'm just hoping that school has changed since i was there because um, it was you, you, the learning support teacher comes in says right ben richard you're coming out in front of the whole class yeah. so i'm just like sick richard's you know he's got a really rough um upbringing he comes from an abusive family. So you've got this, somebody who's got dyslexia and somebody who's got learning difficulties because they're struggling to focus because they've got a horrible time at home. They're put into a room and given the same thing, instruction to do. And you're like, well, we're two very different people with two very different requirements. And you just get treated, you know, as as one group of people that can't learn or, mm-hmm. you know, struggle to learn when it's... And I get it. I mean, I think we, I think we both understand, you know, why and restrictions on you know resources and stuff like that but it still doesn't make it any easier when you're actually in it but there's your resources and then there's like a shift in mindset so i think when you get into yeah. you know adult life you can pick a lane and follow it and kind of get even better at the things you're good at and keep adding to that but then at school you've just got to follow all these linear paths and keep yeah. going down that road and i think if there is a shift in mindset that you do kind of learn in a different way but i mean we yeah. we've got a a, a school client and they're all about kind of trying to change the education system because they believe it's just it's not changed in 120 yeah. years you know I think your school experience is I'm sure people are trying and there's more awareness of it but there's it won't have, it's not changed dramatically it's yeah. still functionally exactly the same thing going yeah. to maths to chemistry to history yeah. whatever yeah I think it, you know there is so I worked in Scottish government for a period of time and there is there is an effort in the Scottish government to try, as you say, to try and look at like work-based learning, try and work out how to, to make people more like work ready, I guess. But it is like school is such a fallacy in a sense that like how do you like web three NFT how, like six years ago, okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna teach you this course in NFTs. How have you ever saw that coming? Do you know what I mean? Like I know. how can you educate someone for the, the speed that you know different careers and stuff are moving? The only way I can see to do it is do what we are talking about is teach people how to learn things quickly teach people how to adapt and, and move and I think we've just you know the good side effect of dyslexia as, as we've talked about is is that is that you can't rely on traditional learning methods you have to be able to work out how to adapt and, and learn stuff quickly so mm-hmm. yeah. I mean that's like you know say if someone joined your business mm-hmm. as an 18 year old or went to do a business management a unique course like there's no question which one they'd actually learn more about running a business yeah from absolutely and yeah yeah, yeah it's uh i didn't go to uni to study design and it always blew my mind when people came out as like interns into into teams that I were working in that had went through four-year design schools and they didn't know well, they knew stuff okay that's maybe a bit harsh to say they didn't know anything but it was like they didn't know the practical reality of how to implement design in like you know a a business that has budgets and mm-hmm. uh, you know has constraints in terms of what's technically possible. You know? Also, education just can't keep up. 
you know, like we oh, find that with marketing yeah. when people come out with marketing degrees. It's like, right, so you're taught about how, what was working four years ago, but it's every yeah. single yeah. minute of every day it's changing and exactly. evolving. You have to react to that. So exactly, I know, my wife did a marketing degree and it was in 2011 she graduated and they didn't teach Facebook. Yeah, at yeah. that point, like, <clears throat> yeah, which had yeah. been going for four years. At that point, there was yeah. no kind of mention of Facebook at all. So, yes, yeah. like you said, just do it. Go to a company that's doing uh-huh. it and just start at the bottom and just learn that way. Because you're absolutely right. There's certain things that just don't work at uni. I think that's the power of side projects. Like I think that's that's pretty much where I've learned everything that you know every skill set I've got. Really, probably I think I speak for you as well. And similar in the sense that if you start a side, if you start something, anything, you're going to quickly work out, okay, what is, how do I acquire a customer? What does that mean? How do I market myself? How do I create, what's a Facebook ad? What's, you know, cost of acquisition, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down to how do I manufacture a thing and send it to someone? You know, you just, you deal with problems as they arise and site projects are so powerful in that sense where if you start something, you're going to face a million different problems and it's just a case of working, you know, one by one and then suddenly you have this like a big array of skill sets that you can apply to anything I think that's the best the best way to educate yourself in, in anything is just build something see what happens yeah that's pretty good advice to anyone <laughs> thinking about starting a business <laughs> so will Ghost Swag be going on into the den or I keep I keep, and keeps, I keep trying to convince me I'd be a laugh I'm not <laughs> um, no we're definitely not no definitely not no <laughs> if you had if one one of the current dragons had to invest who would it be I don't even know who the I current mean, dragons are at the minute. It would, Deborah, I think Deborah is great. Steve is an obvious choice. Uh-huh. So, I, like, he actually mentored us when we were doing the dating app as part of an incubator, and he was one of the mentors. So, he was. I know he was good at that point, uh-huh. and that was before his. Well, at the start of his success, I mean, he was very successful. Now he's obviously. I, was, I think he's an obvious choice for a lot of obvious reasons uh-huh. um, yeah probably. I don't see you in Tucker Silliman as a, a good he fit. is honestly like, <laughs> like yeah he's a <laughs> character what was Stephen Bartlett like getting to know him during that uh, so we only met him a couple of times like good busy a very uh-huh. busy guy you know the kind of guy that turns up and he's answering stuff on his phone and yeah. he sits down and he has to kind of like turn off mentally yeah, yeah. he was that that he was you know that kind of guy and he yeah he seemed genuinely interested in what we're doing at the time but we we were because we were talking about initially it was just uh kind of advising and then we talked about using a service he used to have a you, well, i don't know if he's involved now with social chain so we're going to use their services but it was just it wasn't it wasn't for us at the end of the day so after that i've not spoken to him since then so do you think you'll out for investment at all it's a funny one because we don't need to, mm-hmm. you know. I think this this year we're we're predicting to grow substantially. So, yeah, I think it's something we're always open to. It's, we've been we built the business office. You know, we started it early doors with a, a small amount of money and essentially just worked out how to be profitable from that point. So we're in this interesting stage of we're growing at a good rate. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a case of just we're constantly looking at the future so we're constantly open to it it's just about finding I guess the right the right people and, and that's the right reason to do it essentially exactly we're, we're not in a rush yeah. to take money 
we want to we do want to bring in people that will bring value to the company and if that comes with uh, in the form of investment then and advice yeah we'd, we'd I think we'd be open to that um, but yeah we're kind of we've got the luxury of taking our time with that and making the right choices in terms of that side of things which is good well wasn't that interesting I can't wait to hear what they say next if you're looking for something for your eyes to do while you're listening to this fascinating interview why not visit our website at wearestoryshop.com there you can do it all Sign up for our newsletters filled with witty commentary. Read all the lovely things our clients have to say about us. Meet the team. And find our social media channels so you can keep up to date with all the stories we're telling. That's wearestoryshop.com. Now back to the interview. I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh, one of my kind of childhood friends, Andrew Still, is an actor, a really good actor. Um, and he had very similar sort of upbringing to me. So... Not maybe not everyone knows. Well, so been in what uh, from? He was in uh, various. He was in Hollyoaks and uh, Waterloo Road and various different sort of interesting films and stuff. One coming up recently actually, which I should remember the name of to plug him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's a really talented well, actor. Plugging this podcast is really going to impact the, the box <laughs> office sales. So, so yeah, so uh, no, we we grew really up we grew up in a, a similar area and uh, yeah, he's a good guy. So it would, would be amazing for him to play me in a film. That'd be great. What about you? I do you know I'm, who I'm going to? Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> yeah, I'm going there. I just love him. I, it's just, I just, I don't know. I think, yeah, I just like him. I think he's quite funny. I like him. So, I mean, I don't think I particularly, I don't think we're alike in any form, <laughs> to be honest. I can see you as Daniel Radcliffe. All right. Uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, so, you know, I've got a similar height thing going on. Um, yeah, I, I just think he's a nice guy. So I hope, yeah, see if Danny can do me justice. <laughs> Okay, and uh, what would your autobiography be called? Uh, I mean, recently, like, stress, a journey. <laughs> like I've, got really, I've got one that is just a bit crap. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> I've got a few, actually, that are a bit crap. So my first one is just, go. Because <laughs> that's how we do it. Yeah, go. Because that's all we do, just go. So that's one, which is... That's a bit of a crap one. I, I want, I'm looking, maybe Secret Diary of a Dyslexic. Oh, that's quite good. That's yeah. quite good. Oh, yeah. We could, like, how how do I spell X? How do I spell? Yeah. How do I spell? How do I spell dyslexic? <laughs> how do I disguise? I can't spell. <laughs> um, yeah. Or something that incorporates balancing having wings and a startup. How, how many kids have you got? I've got two. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and I've got one June, August. Congratulations. Thank you. How's, um, uh, how's juggling that been? It's really good. It's my... It's fine. Having kids in the business is not a problem. Because what it does is every single waking hour of my kids' lives, I am not working. Apart from when they're at school and nursery. But I pick them up from nursery, and I am on them until they go to bed at, like seven half seven and then i start working weekends i don't work because it's one well, unless it's the evenings because it's their time so it's just give me a, a good balance of family plus working so it's whereas 
you obviously find it harder because you don't have that. When you have kids, you can't. A lot of time, you can't. You know, you're even if you wanted to, you just couldn't anyway. So that's allowed me to have a really nice balance. Whereas I guess it's trickier for you because you'll be at, you'll work weekends. <laughs> Oh, where are you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I got a puppy recently. That's my uh, yeah, that's, that's my child. That's um, to be fair, it gave me a lot. Of empathy. You know, like I don't know how you do it. To be honest, like a puppy's tough enough. So uh, my fiance works works with us. Uh, so both of us are like looking after this puppy and also working in the company. So it's uh, <laughs> exciting yeah. to say the least with a pup. And uh, the first song in the soundtrack to your life, I've you have to say McFly as I'm walking out. Yeah, definitely. Maybe a bit of a fly track. I'd love, I'd love it to be super dramatic. Some, I'd like last the Mohicans or something like that. <laughs> so just like me running around because I grew up in the hills, and all I would do is just run around the hills, <laughs> thinking about that, that tune, the last Mohican soundtrack. So it'd probably be that. Or he's a pirate from Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> just love it. That's what I listen to in the office when I'm trying to get pumped up. I love that. Yeah, I hate it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Nas, in my state of mind, not saying that my life is anything like Nas. <laughs> I want to put that out. But I'm just like a, a, a big hip hop head. Uh, but yeah, so so anything early days of Nas, I think, would be, would be an honour. <laughs> and finally, a shout out to a Glasgow business. Do you know, I had one in mind, and I've just realised I'm not based in Glasgow. Based in Edinburgh. Well, you can't look, say we, Let's, let's <laughs> say spread it Scottish one time I mean, only. I'm not, not a big fan of spreading it to Edinburgh. But, uh, yeah, Flo is the people are going to say. I think they are Edinburgh-based, right? They are, yeah. But they uh, so they, they are a cash flow management tool. Being a bootstrapped company, as I said before, cash flow is everything. So they built have built an amazing tool and seem to have a decent team. So... Uh, yeah, I'd give a shout out. Do then, oh, actually, sorry to interrupt you. These folk are Glaswegian. Uh, the Glasgow Collective, where we are now, definitely I'd give a big shout out. They've been um, a huge part of our growth and our journey. Uh, David and John, who, who run this place, you know, yeah, we've, uh, we owe a lot to them and they continue to support us in a massive way and it's an amazing space. So I'd definitely give a shout out to them. You're very patient with us. <laughs> You're very patient with us. We... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you were here when we occupied well, you the Sometimes you would struggle to move around <laughs> the collective for yeah. and stuff like yeah, that. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, we started to It wasn't just them that were patient with us, it was everyone. everyone. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, somebody's going to square go as one day. <laughs> and it never happened, thankfully. Yeah, I think saying, it was, I think it was getting close, which is why we were asked to, are you starting to find a, a bigger space? <laughs> <laughs> it takes a little, it takes quite a while. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's part of the nice thing about being around here is everyone does want each yeah, other to do it. well. That's exactly yeah, it. definitely. Yeah, totally. There is one other Glasgow business, the, the Thai Caravan place. Have you heard of it? Ting Ting Thai Caravan. Yeah, that's an Edinburgh business, but yeah. Oh no! God, what are we Wait. doing? <laughs> you guys, um, I'm usually very anti Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how do they deliver uh, from Edinburgh? <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, they've just opened in Glasgow, so the one in Central. Yeah, it's very good. Great. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for yeah. coming on. No, thanks for having us. It's been great. Thank you very much for listening. If you know a purpose-driven entrepreneur with a story worth telling who would make for a great guest on the Story Shop podcast, send us a message on social media. We're at We Are Story Shop on all channels. <laughs>